Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to Women's Hoops and Talks, the What Podcast, where we are elevating the voice of women in basketball. I am Tara, joined by Cassidy. Hey, Cassidy, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Happy holidays. We are in the throes of it. Yes, we are. Happy holidays to you, too. Right in between Christmas and New Year's. Now, I happen to know... And it is Kwanzaa. Yes, and we have Kwanzaa going on right now. Well, I happen to know that you are a fabulous baker. And so I've been wondering, did you make any special recipes this season that you loved? Oh, I have done a little bit. I um, made some really good gingerbread gingerbread cookies on um, Christmas Eve. And then I attempted my biggest feat yet which was a miniature um gateau saint Henri's with lemon curd so that a lot like, of work like but, doesn't yeah. it have like um pate a and um yep. like cream puffs and stuff all over it yep. it's a uh, puff Dang. pastry with pate cream puffs and three types of different types of cream on there so Oh a lot God. of lot of work. <laughs> you put anything that I tried to shame. Um, but I <laughs> did try a new recipe this year. It was um, shortbread, made like whole wheat shortbread made with whole Ooh. wheat pastry flour. And I used cultured butter, which is like mm-hmm. European style butter. And I don't know what is different. I don't know if like the cows like moo with an accent or what the deal is. <laughs> but they call it European cultured butter. So whatever. Um, but... Oh my gosh, they were so good because they were like a little bit nutty and they were crunchy but still flaky because they were like little shortbread squares. So that sounds so good. Like, and then I put dark chocolate on them and then sprinkled salt on type top. Whoever's jo- whoever invented the idea of putting sea salt on dessert is like my hero because that is it's so good, so so so. That sounds amazing. Good. And cultured butter is technically better for you because it has live bacteria. Oh, oh, that's why it's cultured. <laughs> I mean it. It probably has an accent too. Of course, of course, of course. Well, now that we've gone over our holiday recipes, how <laughs> let's pivot and talk about the Trailblazers because the other part of the what's going on is like this is the time of year where everybody reflects on you know the favorite things that happened this calendar year, and since it's the last uh, what podcast of the year, um. Can you remember anything that happened before the start of this season? Because I can't. <laughs> Not really. I was having such a hard time trying to remember anything that happened. Um, I guess I've blocked most of it from my memory. There were some good wins, a rough playoff patch, but, you know, I'm all about this season now. Yeah. Yeah, last last season, I was really struggling to rem- All I could remember was, you know, the last playoff game and thinking okay well it was an early start so the 
you know, when the Blazers are done, at least we'll all be out of here by four. <laughs> that, was, that was like my last thought about last season before this season started. But how about highlights for this season that uh, just started in October? Um, I'm going to say highlights so far. I think I got my top five would have to be opening night against the Lakers. That was great to watch them beat LeBron in the LeBron spectacle that it was. <laughs> we got to hear, remember we heard about that from uh, Ann Peterson talking about yes. crawling around <laughs> to try to get, to try to get an interview. LeBron, I to loved get the it. microphone up there to LeBron. Uh, Evan Turner's Halloween costumes for the team. Just oh. showing that we are a bonded together team that is willing to laugh at ourselves. Um <laughs> I'd say the development of Zach Collins, which I guess is part of last season as well, Mm -hmm. is just watching how much growth we've seen in such a short period of time and just how funny he is to watch. Mm -hmm. And then last but not least, last night's game against the Golden State Warriors in Oracle, winning for the first time in Oracle in five years. That was such, that was we could be having such a different conversations if things had it gone even horrible, slightly but... differently. But it didn't. It but went it didn't. the way it exactly. went. They exactly. hung on for the win and just like a, just a horrifically ugly game at, at some points. A lot um, of points. I mean, you know that Aminu is my guy, but boy, did he have some moments. Although I have to say that Draymond dribbling off of Clay Thompson's face was probably the low point. <laughs> Or I'm sorry, passing off of Clay Thompson's face. Yeah, he passed. I just passed. I just want to say, Clay, come home. (laughs) Come back, Clay. Come home. We won't throw the ball at your head. But then I couldn't promise that because there were also plenty of errant passes by the Blazers. (laughs) But those errant passes didn't cost us a game. Yeah. Yeah, but that... uh, that win last night, I would say, was one of the highlights of the season so far. I liked um, Evan Turner's custom slides that he made. He's just like the best gift giver, isn't yeah. he? He's but the gift that just keeps on giving. He made the custom things. slides for everybody um, that were like had their names or like their special little slogan or pictures on them. I thought that was that was really so fun. Good. Yeah. And what's going to be also really great about this season is after we um, helped by along by us, it won't be just us, but helped along by us when Damien gets named as a starter in the all-star game. Cause Absolutely. that is, I am willing that into existence or whatever it is that LeVar Ball did, you know, to get Lonzo on the Lakers. I'm doing that to get Damien on the all-star game. I'm I'm <laughs> speaking it into existence. That's what I'm doing. Yes. It's so going have you to voted happen. for Damien today yet? Absolutely. Okay, good. And I hope everybody who's listening to this has voted for Damien today and has plans to vote for Damien tomorrow and every other day. Yeah. Honestly, just stop the podcast right now. Take a pause. Yeah. Pause it. Wait. Go vote. Then play us again. We'll finish talking, but go vote for Dame. He deserves to be on the all-star team and he deserves to be a starter. <laughs> exactly. So how do you feel about where the Blazers are right now? I feel okay. I think it has been a really fun season with a lot of highs, some, a lot of lows, and I think I still don't really know what's going to happen, but it's been a fun ride and I'm enjoying it. 
So I've heard lately from various quarters, I've heard people say things like, I used to love watching this team and now I don't love watching them anymore. When did the Blazers not get fun? Is that something like, can you understand where people are coming from when they say that? I think so. Cause I think a lot of diehard Blazer basketball fans love the, the game with a lot of assists. Mm-hmm. And that's, not necessarily the style that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe we're so used to seeing that high passing, like quick, fast paced pass leading to so many assists that we're just not used to this style yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've been playing it for about three years now, though. I think that's what, I the, know. I think that's what people are also getting tired of. You know, I think they think that there haven't been a lot of new, maybe there there haven't been a lot of new plays added or that um, the offense is like kind of stagnant now. Um, I mean, I definitely like, I respect people what they, you know, like and what they don't like. And that's fine. Um, Dan and I talked about this on the weekly podcast. Um, For me, I like watching a game so that I can learn more about it and watch for interesting things. Mm-hmm. And um, some games have been hard to watch this season because, again, they're like just more of the same. Um, yeah. But then, you know, when Alfarico Munu starts dribbling the ball up the court and chaos starts to happen, um, when guys who haven't maybe, you know, really shined yet, like Seth Curry start going off last night, that was super exciting. Yeah. I'm just, I'm always, on, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat for those moments. And when those moments happen, I'm, I'm so happy that I like forget the rest of the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we've had a good amount of those moments this year. I mean, we saw Nick hit all those threes that one game and we've seen, we've seen the moments we saw Nurk dunk. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing Nurk dunk quite a bit. It's amazing. And Myers Leonard having uh, a more steady performance now that he's getting steady minutes he's steadily able to produce yeah and he's shooting 50 percent from field goal range i believe which is yeah good yeah really he's, good he's having um he's having an excellent an excellent shooting season so i mean i get i get it for people like you know who w- want something different and they're looking around the league and they're seeing teams like, you know, Milwaukee and Denver and teams who like really took a chance on players and, you know, after quite a bit of time are seeing their hopes and dreams come to fruition, like, like, you know, Sacramento or whatever. So I, I get that, but you know, but you know, the grass is always greener, right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Five years ago, you probably could have asked Sacramento, like, would you rather, you know, be like Portland and have a consistently, you know, 500 plus team or would you rather be where you are now? Like five years ago, they may have traded places with us today. It might be different, but Mm -hmm. it's just so hard to know, right? Yeah. It's just so hard to predict. Yeah. And it's been such a, I mean, there, it's been a kind of a streaky season and I guess it's been a streaky few seasons. So it's kind of hard to predict where we're going at any given point. But I think if last night was any sign of good things to come in the new year, I think I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. And I think the, the schedule doesn't really let up for a couple more weeks, but I think, I believe for the most part, the 
components get a little bit less challenging, the the wear and tear on their bodies is going to really pile up, I think, until the All-Star break because it's just brutal in January mm-hmm. in terms of just like constantly being on the move or having a game or just recovering for one day and turning right around and playing again. Um, but at least the competition appears to be not quite so <laughs> deadly. <laughs> Yeah. So we'll see, but I think we have to get through January before we can have any idea. I don't know. It must be so hard to be a professional athlete and to just endure through a season when you have so much coming at you all the time. Yeah. I, I, I'm not quite sure where you find it in yourself to be like, Oh yeah, no, I'm good now. I'm ready to go. Like you don't do it in between a back to back. I mean, but it's really impressive. I mean, the physical toll is a lot. And it's it's nice to see players, especially the Blazers, just keep playing through it. And we get to enjoy good games because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And knock on wood that folks can stay healthy. You know, by this time last year, there had already been some major losses like in the NBA. I mean, even oh, yeah. the first day of the season, <laughs> there were... Major, major losses in the NBA. And it it seems like, unless I'm misremembering, that this year they're, they aren't quite so dramatic. Um, you know, of course, yeah. we, have Le- we have LeBron's groin to worry about now. <laughs> My favorite tweet of the year, I think, so far is LeBron, a report from the locker room is that everything is intact. <laughs> I was like... What? That is such a strange thing to say. Like, who, who wrote that and thought that was, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm I glad it's it. all intact. Thanks. I, I get it, but it was just such a weird thing to say. Yeah. So the good news is everything is intact for LeBron. The other good news is that we have a really great interview to play with AJ McCord from Coin6 TV. She is a reporter and anchor, like I said, for Coin6 TV. And uh, she is an athlete, has been an athlete all of her life, and she had some great insight to give us um, about, you know, sort of how she tackles her job of talking to athletes and how she's able to, you know, sit with them in the locker room after a loss or after a win and uh, tries to draw out, you know, the story from them. Fabulous interview. Cassidy, anything that you want to add or should we just go ahead and roll it? I think we should just roll it. All right, here we go. We are so happy to have AJ McCord as our guest on the show today. First time guest. Hopefully it won't be the last. Welcome, AJ. Thank you. Yes, I would hope it's not the last. I'm excited to get on here. Well, I... I actually am embarrassed to say that I watch so little TV anymore besides the Blazer games and the Hallmark Channel that I've completely lost touch with what's on my own local television. So I was really excited to come across you and see some of the stuff that you are doing on Facebook and reporting on. So what I'm hoping is you could just kind of introduce yourself, tell us about how you got to where you are and a little bit about your journey along the way. 
Yeah, definitely. So um, born and raised in San Diego, California. So I'm a West Coast native. Um, I went to college in San Diego. That's kind of where I started working in broadcast journalism, which was my degree. Um, did a couple internships during college, some really great ones in there. And then um, also had a lot of fun. I would say college is where I fell in love with the outdoors. I grew up surfing, um, but never like mountains or or backpacking or anything like that and so um but in college I got a job as a whitewater rafting guide um out in Colorado so I kind of fell in love with both my career and my hobby I feel like at the same time which is kind of fun um and then after college I worked for what was then Universal Sports and that is was in Denver Colorado so that was a ton of fun I lived with two of my best friends got to work on the Olympic sports which I was a gymnast growing up so it was a blast to get to do, um, you know, cover, basically my job was to cover all the qualifying events leading up to Sochi that year. So that was 2014. And then after that, um, I did a couple freelance things. I worked for Rally Car America, which is actually, um, when I first came to Oregon because Rally Car, if you don't know what it is, it's like super fun. It's like NASCAR, but you take it out in like the woods and Whoa. you, it's like, it's crazy. It's so fun. So there was actually a race called the Oregon trail rally and we stayed in hood river and the race was out in Dufer. And so the guys who do this is like, is like Travis Pastrana. So these are like extreme outdoor, you know, like gnarly extreme sports kind of guys. And so that was a blast. Cause again, I think I, um, I mean, I played everything growing up, but I definitely have a special place in my heart for Olympic and endurance sports that um, get attention once every four years, you know? Um, <laughs> so that was really fun for me, and I loved it. And then after that, I took a job in Fayetteville, Arkansas, um, where I was the weekend sports anchor and reporter. That was a ton of fun. And um, my husband's actually from Arkansas, so that worked out really well. We weren't married at the time. We'd only been dating a couple months, but it was great because I got some really great time with his family and um, got to learn a lot about who he was and things like that. So the job was not glamorous. The job was really hard. The job had, you know, all the small market um, problems, I guess, that you could say that came along with it. Um, so I did that, served my contract there. And then my husband actually got into school in Oregon down in Lebanon. And so we were moving to Oregon and, um, it was through this just crazy kind of set of circumstances that the Lord kind of set up the job at coin. So I was there, uh, part-time for the first couple months and then took the full-time job with them about a year ago, I want to say. Um, so yeah, and I've been there ever since. And I've been loving it. Awesome. I have so many questions. Okay. <laughs> that, that was such like a, a linear progression, but I bet it wasn't like totally linear. No. Um, one of my one of my first questions is you ended up in sports. Has sports mm -hmm. been something that you've always been passionate about? Like you, oh you mentioned that you were a gymnast. Um, so tell me about kind of your relationship with with sports through the years and how kind yeah. of it's developed. Totally. So yes, um, I did kind of gloss over that part, but which is ironic because uh, sports is all I've ever known. I grew up an athlete. If there was a sport that I was allowed to play, I was playing it. 
Um, my eighth grade year, I think I played six different sports. I played softball for six or seven years. I was a gymnast. Gymnastics was kind of my bread and butter. I dabbled in other sports along the way, but, um, gymnastics was the thing that I did competitively, um, got to the level where I could have competed in college, but, um, gymnastics shelf life's pretty short. (laughs) So I got a pretty bad back injury when I was 17 and, um, you know, kind of decided that I could fight through it and I could go to a small school and I could, um, you know, compete in college, but it wasn't my passion any longer. I, I, I often joke that I didn't have a childhood because I spent 40 plus hours in the gym every week. And so, um, at that point I was kind of done and I was just, you know, ready to move on to the next phase of my life. And, so I still loved doing anything competitive. I, I will compete at anything at any time, <laughs> no matter what it is, no matter if I've ever done it before, like I will always compete. Um, but at that point I was ready. I, I joined surf club at the college that I went to, but I was just, gymnastics was the end of the road for me there. So I always had a very um, personal relationship with sports. And then I actually knew I wanted to go into sports broadcasting when I was in high school. And to explain that, I think I kind of need to give you an idea of who um, I lived with. So my family is very competitive. My family (laughs) are all athletes. Um, My dad does triathlons. My brother was a collegiate swimmer. My sister was a collegiate tennis player. So we are, my mom runs like seven miles a day. Like this is just how I grew up. The Monopoly um, games must have just been killer. Oh my your gosh. House. You would not believe <laughs> the childhood trauma that we have endured <laughs> because my dad will get too competitive or I will get too good. Like someone's always too competitive. To this day, we have a, a hard line when it comes to board games of when enough is enough. Um, <laughs> so, but that being said, it was my mom and my grandma, ironically, that, um, so they were diehard Chargers fans. Like, and when I say diehard, I mean lived and breathed the San Diego Chargers. And so that's what I grew up with was the women in my house explaining sports to me. Um, cause my dad and my grandpa liked watching it, but they did not know it. Like my mom, my grandma, they had season tickets to the Chargers. We were there every Sunday. I mean, it was like so involved. And so football in my house was like, Sundays were for the Lord and football and that was about it. (laughs) And so, um, so yeah, so when I was in college or when I was in high school, we would, we were watching a game at Thanksgiving. And I remember that was kind of the first time that I understood what like a sideline reporter was. Um, and you know, at that point that was really the only place women were, um, they were really even then, which, you know, was what, 15 years ago, I guess. I mean, that was, that was really the only place you saw a woman in a sports broadcasting realm. And so I remember being struck by that and going, Whoa, this is so cool. She gets to talk to these athletes that like we're sitting here on the couch and like would love to ask these questions, you know? And so that was what kind of piqued my interest in sports broadcasting. And, um, it was my mother and my grandma and football that did all that. (laughs) That's, that's an awesome story. You know, I've, I, I've heard it a lot. I don't know if you have too, Cassidy. I've heard from a lot of people who got their love of sports from their moms or mm. the the women in their families. I mean, I oh, think yeah. it's, you know, 
you know, obviously the the trope is that it's men who drive it, but mm-hmm. more and more that I go around talking about women in sports, I hear stories about, oh, like, you know, my aunt, you know, my great aunt kept score for every single baseball game she ever watched. <laughs> she has <laughs> all of the notebooks that she, you know, just yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's how my grandma was. She used to post the Buffalo Bills uh, scores in her on her front porch. She'd run out there in the snow and post the score like the neighbors weren't watching or listening. <laughs> oh, my that's God. Fantastic. That's amazing. Did she, like, hang them on the front door or something? And I then think she had, like, like a, by and... she had, like, a stake in the in the front lawn with the posted score. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love that so much. That's so cool. Well, you mentioned that one of the early uh, jobs that you had was covering the um, – the trials leading up to the Sochi Olympics. Is that right? Yeah. So it was actually the qualifying event. The qualifying. So, okay. Yeah, What's the so difference between all of that? Yeah. Good question. So the qualifying events are like, you have to meet these requirements before, which it's been a while since I brushed up on my Olympic knowledge, but uh-huh. so basically, before- yeah, before you can compete, you have to compete in a certain number of qualifying events and you have to do as a certain like um you have to place a certain spot within that to be able to have a chance at the trials from what I remember again it's been a minute since I've brushed up my Olympic um rules but leading up to 2014 so we had this great weekly show where basically there would be events in like France Russia um Colorado, like there'd be events all over the world and it would be all different, like speed skating, figure skating, downhill, snowboarding, like curling. I mean, all these events. And so our job was Universal Sports produced all the coverage for these events. And so you could see the live chant, like the live broadcast Mm -hmm. on Universal. Our job was then to kind of wrangle it into a weekly show about um, who had qualified in which sport what still needed to happen, all that jazz. So it's kind of like a weekly sports center for all the qualifying events. Oh, wow. That sounds so interesting. Were there any sports that you like didn't really know much about that you were like, ooh, that's interesting. I want to learn more about that. Yeah, probably most of them. Um, because at that point, <laughs> I'd lived in San Diego my whole life and I'd skied once a year. And you know, now I'm living in Colorado trying to pretend like I know how to snowboard because I thought that would be easier than with my surfing background, I thought it'd be easier to, you know, do that. Um, so I learned a lot about it. It was, yes, I can, I can hold my own on a snowboard. Um, but it was, it was a blast. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed learning about a lot of them, but I think, uh, slope style was probably one of my favorites, which is still just sort of getting an off the ground. Um, but I think slope style is one of the coolest sports. Um, and the other thing that I really fell in love with there, which has totally turned into a bit of a, I don't know, like, I guess a heart passion for me is, um, I also worked on the Paralympics for 2014. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, like those people were the best. I mean, they were the kind of people that you could go do an interview with, and then you'd want to go grab a beer with them. Like they were just that genuine that awesome. And to this day, I keep in touch with them. Um, all the people that I worked with and interacted with doing the Paralympic coverage much more than the Olympic coverage, which is not to say that I didn't meet some wonderful people doing Olympic coverage, but 
um, I just developed a real heart for, for that. And I think being an athlete myself, I know what sports did for me growing up and I know how I turned to sports when other things were going wrong or whatever. And so I just found it, um, just so incredible that, you know, everyone has a, has a story of how they end up in the Paralympics. You don't just really like happen to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 there's, everyone has a story and, um, I was just always so amazed at how in their darkest moments, sports is what got them out of it. And I thought that was just such a cool thing. Um, and something that, you know, is a message that I think could benefit a lot of people who maybe don't have the chance to hear it because Paralympic coverage is not something you see everywhere. Yeah. You don't get often. Yeah. It's so worth watching. I have yes. loved the Olympics my entire life. And, um, I love watching the Paralympics. I think it's just, it's so great. And I'm so interested. I'm probably was one of your viewers back then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was fantastic. And I, those people, I mean, they still come to hood and stuff. So I still keep in touch with some of those guys who train at Mount hood during the summer. And, um, you know, I mean, two of the Paralympians are the ones who taught me how to ride a rail snowboarding. So it's just like, it's just so fun. So I loved, I loved that, that season of covering the, covering the Olympic sports. I think just, like I said, growing up, you know, I, I lived and died for the Olympics at some, at one point that was my dream was to be an Olympian. And so, um, I just had a very special place in my heart for, for those stories and those athletes. Cool. Well, you mentioned that, um, you know, some of th- about, you know, learning things as an athlete that, you know, helped you cope with other things. What are some of the ways that, you know, being an athlete and an adventurer have prepared you for the job that you do now at COIN covering mm-hmm. sports? Well, I think one of the things is I know what it feels like to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, that's like sounds like such a like dramatic Debbie Downer thing. But I think one of the hardest parts of my job is knowing how to go into a post game losing locker room and still get the story of what happened. Because if you've been an athlete in any capacity, if you're even just competitive, you know what it feels like to lose. And I can't speak for everybody, but when I lose the last thing I want to do is talk to somebody about it. It's not, it's not fun. And so I think having that um, perspective of, And I also know what it feels like to win, you know, you know how excited you are. And so I think having that perspective of knowing kind of the, the mood and like where people will be coming from after a game is something that makes you a much better listener. And it makes you a much better question asker, which is something that is really my whole job, right? Like I, I feel so honored that of all the Blazers fans in the world, I'm the one who gets to talk to Dame after a game. Like that to me is something that it is an honor that I take so seriously. And so because of that, I feel like to squander that opportunity and to just not ask a question or because they lost and it was a bad game to be scared that they were going to be mad. I asked a question like that's not fair to everyone else who would do anything to be in my place. And so that I think as an athlete gives me, a former washed up athlete gives me the chance to, you know, just be more empathetic and therefore get better, get truer answers instead of these stock answers that, um, you know, you might get for a stock question. 
Well, I'm sure that you're not a washed, washed up athlete. <laughs> First of all, I'm sure you still have got a lot left in you. Um, how do you, with, with regard to, you know, tra- uh, covering the, the Blazers, what does your routine kind of around a Blazer game or game day, how does that, what does that look like? Yeah. So because my job is not exclusively Blazers, um, I do Blazers games as they come to me, if that makes sense. Like I'll switch my schedule around when possible to cover big games. Um, but for the most part, like a game will start around seven ish, right? Um, six 30, So typically on a game day that we're covering, I'll head over there around four o'clock. Um, I'll be there for the guys warming up, which to me is the most important. They're the two most important parts of any game are well before they come on the court for like actual pregame warmups and afterwards everything else in the middle you're not going to you're not going to learn a lot more than anybody else who's sitting in the arena watching with you but that time before the game and I'm not talking about you know like 20 minutes before I'm talking like I'm there 3 hours before and these guys are you know, out there warming up, talking, that's when they're chatty. That's when you learn what's going on in someone's head. That's when you get a chance to learn something valuable that might play out in a game. And so um, I'll get there as early as I possibly can. I'll do all that. I'll get a little bit of information. I'll talk to the coaches, talk to Dame, do pregame availability. Um, And then we'll go live from Moda for the 5:45 show or 5:30 show, we'll hit around 5:45, and I'll do my little pregame court side report or whatever. Um, and then I will stick around for the game and watch, and then you know, kind of critically watch, I guess you could say, the game so that I go into the locker room prepared um, with what I want to ask and such things. And then after the game, I'll go into the locker room, ask a couple questions, and then typically come back out uh, and be live courtside or live back at the station um, for the 11 o'clock news. That sounds like a really long afternoon, but so much fun. (laughs) It is. It's a lot of fun. My game days are my favorite days, uh, like without a question. What are some of your highlights in the time that you've covered the Blazers? Like interactions or like little Mm. bits that you saw, watched or saw or picked up? Yeah. Well, I think, um, I think there have been a couple. The playoffs obviously were not kind to the Blazers last year, but um, we were the only local station to travel to New Orleans for the last two Mm. games. And so I, that was hard. I mean, they were not in a good mood. They did not know what was going wrong and, or at least they weren't willing to share with us what was going wrong, you know, but at the same time, I think um, that was a really special experience for me because it felt like this is what I've always wanted to do. You know, like I, I want to be the one traveling with the team. Like I want my job, I want to be centered around the game. And so um, even though it, was not the result any of us wanted. I really enjoyed my time covering the Blazers playoff run. Um, and then there were some big wins last year that were great. Um, this year, one of my favorite stories was um, before the opener. I'm not sure how many of you guys, uh, how many caught this, but there's this guy who, if you follow basketball at all and are even like slightly into the kicks of basketball, you'll know this guy. His name's Kickstradamus on Twitter. His real name is Sal. 
So mm-hmm. he designed a couple pairs of shoes for the Blazers for opener. So one was for Myers, which was a very uh, Portland-oriented shoe, and it was really cool. So I messaged this guy, and I found out he'd also designed Dame shoes. And um, Dame was wearing Paul Allen tribute shoes that night. Mm-hmm. So I went over, and I got to talk to him, talk to Dame about what – you know, what went into the making of it. I mean, Paul died on a Monday and they played on Thursday. Like there was no time to, to do this, you know, it was a quick turnaround and it was just really interesting. And I felt like, you know, Dame, Dame took the loss of Paul very like pretty hard. And so, um, I think that was a cool thing to hear and see just how quickly he turned that into something that, you know, that mattered to him and something that he wanted to carry with him. And so, um, those were a couple of the really fun ones. I mean, there's always funny times that like shoot around, like Dame has come up and told me, do you guys know who Icebox is on Little Giants? I don't. So she's like a girl playing football is the long story short. And I'd never <laughs> seen little, I'd never seen Little Giants before Dame told me that I reminded him of oh. this girl from it. And I was like, thank you, I think. But then I like watched the movie and it was like being told that you or remind somebody of Cheryl from remember the Titans, which is like my life goal because she's my spirit animal. And so like things like that are pretty cool. Cause it just, it's, you know, it's moments like that. Then you're like, okay, great. I'm not just another face in a crowd. Like, and the way that ends up is they're not a face in a crowd to me either. You know, like I know them, I know their stories. I have done my homework. Their stories are much more accessible than mine, but um, I think that's a cool I've just enjoyed getting to know the team and I've never been basketball is so unique as far as how many freaking games there are that you get to know these guys pretty darn well because of the what 40 ish home games. I'm at most of them. And so that's a lot of time. I'm at all, almost all the practices, you know? And so I really enjoy, I just, I've enjoyed very much the chance to go a lot deeper with a team than I ever have in a, in my career before. So did you get to watch the game last night when the Blazers beat the Golden State Warriors? I did. (laughs) I did. First time since 2013, if my math is right. Yeah, yeah, I got to watch the mostly I watched a bit of the first half and then I really honed in during the second half and overtime. And that was an impressive win. That was obviously I mean, it's always impressive when you beat the Warriors. But I think coming off of those losses to the Jazz, everyone was a little bit like, okay, where are they in the West, you know? And I don't think we know the answer to that yet. I don't think we will know the answer to that for quite some time, but um, I think they showed that they're in the picture last night, very much in the picture. Well, I know that you have to go pretty soon. I would love to know some final thoughts on where you think – we, you said you think it'll be a little while before we know about where the Blazers are going to be. What are some of your thoughts kind of on the beginning of the season and where you think they might go from here? Yeah. Um, so I think the thing, the thing that has impressed me most about this season, which um, is a component in any championship team is that locker room chemistry is better than it was last year. It is better than almost any other team that I think I've covered. Um, And 
maybe excluding the Timbers, who of course made the championship run this year. And that locker room was so fun to see how the veterans really brought along the rookie or not the rookies, but you know, the veterans brought along the younger players and really were inclusive. And I think one of the things, I mean, I know the bench has had their struggles as far as figuring out (laughs) which games they can and can't score. Um, Mm -hmm. There are some games where the bench is like this phenomenal asset. And then there are some games where you're like, where did you pick these, you know, like, where are you? What are you doing? But I do think that no matter what the bench is doing, the team reacts the same. Like after the game, there is no finger pointing. There is no like, well, so-and-so didn't, you know, whatever. And there's just no drama. There's no drama in this locker room. And so I think you're going to have, it's an 82 game season. You're going to have bad stretches. You're going to have bad losses. And I don't think anyone is immune to that at all. I mean, I think even Golden State is not immune to that. They have far fewer. But um, I think that's the thing that's been so impressive this year is that locker room and the way the bench works together when they're working well is something you don't see that often. And so um, that's been really fun to watch. I think that's going to carry them through those stretches. And, you know, they had that stretch of, what, three or four uh, losses in a row. And, you know, I think – even then they figured out how to get out of it in large part because the bench started producing. Yeah. Those three losses in a row to the nuggets, the spurs and the Mavs, which the nuggets I think should be highly favored to win or come in second in the West because the nuggets are scary. But um, yeah, I think, I think the Blazers will make the playoffs and I think maybe, I think maybe that chemistry will play out in the playoffs to have a bit of a different result this year. I have a devil's advocate question because it's when I keep having these conversations with people who, you know, this is how a season goes. It's a roller coaster, right? So Mm -hmm. you're up one day, you're the next year down, you know, to quote John Prine, you're up one day, the next year down, it's a half an inch of water and you think you're going to (laughs) drown. So, but I've heard some people say that, uh, you know, they need to have more fire. They need Mm. to have, you know, a a more fierier, you know, locker room that their temperaments are so even that it's hard for them to like tap into that spark that makes them Mm. want to overcome. So as an athlete, how do you feel like, about that sort of theory about, you know, performance, I guess. Like, do you need to tap into something? Well, I don't think everyone, I don't think every locker room needs a, like, I don't think every locker room needs somebody who storms in after the game and throws things around. I don't think that's like a necessary aspect of winning. I do think you need someone who has an edge and who, I think you need a group of guys who hate to lose how they internalize a loss and transform it is what matters. So I think that they are very even keeled, but after a loss, there is no doubt. Everybody is mad. Like everybody, even the guys who didn't suit up, you know, like everybody is mad. They're just not pointing fingers at each other, Mm. which I think is the biggest difference. Like, I mean, if you watch James post game, you know, things after a loss, like, It's very different. He's very angry, but he reflects it on himself, figures out what he can do better as opposed to maybe pulling aside Myers or Zach or ET or somebody on that second unit and saying, what the heck, why didn't you do X, Y, and Z? You know, this is a really important nuance. Yeah. 
I'm kind of wondering, do you, do you attribute their locker room kind of chemistry to more of the players or do you think the coaching staff has a lot to do with it? Well, I think the coaching staff has a good bit to do with it too. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with the locker room leaders. Yeah. When you have Dame and CJ flying down some of the rookies to go to Oakland to see a Raiders game because it's Dame's hometown. Yeah. I think it was the Raiders Browns game. In fact, yeah. I think that's why CJ I think was, it was there. Yeah. yeah. So when you have that, that is a team leader thing. Mm-hmm. When you have all the guys going to Dame's house for Thanksgiving, that is a leader thing, you know? So I think a lot of it has to do with the leadership within the locker room. And it's not just Dame. It's not just CJ. I would say ET steps up. I would say Mo steps up. I would say Nurk steps up in his own way. And so, um, and even some of the guys who aren't on that first unit, I think step up and are, are voices of leadership in the locker room. And so, um, yeah, so I think it has to do a lot of both, but I think, you know, if the coach doesn't, if the coach and the GM don't bring in guys who fit that character and who will respond in that type of culture, then you're not, there's nothing anybody can do about that, you know? And I don't know if you guys have read Carrie Eggers' book, but the jailblazers kind of stretch there is was such an interesting thing for me to read through, especially given that I didn't live in Portland at the time, but that was the total opposite, right? Like you had these guys with all the edge, everybody had an edge, everybody Mm -hmm. was mad, but they were so streaky because of it. And so, um, yeah, so I think it comes from, from both places, I think. Well, we are running out of time. This has been so great. I definitely, I think, want to check in with you later after the season has progressed a ways and find out uh, more about what's going on. But for now, so that we can let you go and (laughs) get on with your activities, do you want to uh, tell people where they can find you and see your work? Yes. So I am on all of the social medias. I am on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't do Snapchat. That is the one I don't do. So, um, but Facebook, uh, see Twitter and Instagram. I'm both AJ underscore McCord and then Facebook. It should be AJ McCord sports. Um, and I'm always at coin too. So you can email me at my coin address. If you guys have any story ideas, especially in the Portland area, that would be, um, awesome. I do this really fun feature every week called, uh, athlete of the week. And it's where we feature high school kids who are doing great things, not just, like, oh, the best player on the team, but really great things that they've overcome and things they do in the community. So always looking for submissions for that. So yeah, I'm on all those places and would love to hear from, um, you know, not just Blazers fans, but Portland sports fans. And it's been a blast getting to talk to you guys. And yeah, I'd love to do it again. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, of course. I'll see you guys soon. We'll talk to you again. Okay, bye. do it for this edition of women's hoops and talks we are hosted by blazers edge if you like what you heard please find us on blazers edge podcast on itunes or stitcher and subscribe and rate and review we usually release new podcasts of what every other thursday if you want to know more about blazers what you can follow us on twitter 
at Hoops and Talks. And we have our monthly meetup slash a watch party Sunday, January 13th at the McMinnanum's Broadway Pub on Northeast 15th and Broadway. Blazers will be playing the Nuggets. Come join us. All right. Thanks, Cassidy.